Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, John Clayton. Welcome to School with the Professor, and I'll tell you what, I mean, with this busy time right now with the final cuts and trades and everything else, lots to break down and lots of uh, big news to break down with Andrew Brandt from MMQB. And uh, Andrew, uh, how amazed are you and how unusual is it to see a Jadavian Clowney trade in which uh, Seattle was able to get him for a three, Barkevius Mingo, Jacob Martin, and then get $7 million paid back by Houston? Yeah, John, there was quite a flurry of activity this weekend, as there is every Labor Day weekend when teams get ready to start the year and their final business are made. But, I mean, like you, like everyone, I'm kind of amazed at what Houston did this weekend. And uh, I'm sorry to pile on. I'm sure everyone is. But it just shows, without a general manager in place, how you can be deficient. I don't blame Coach Bill O'Brien, who seems to have all the power, we're focusing on the here and now. That's what coaches do. They're all about right now. How can we get Clowney in here today? But it just seems like they kind of did whatever they needed to do and not thought about the future. Listen, you and I know John Schneider very well. I just cannot believe he would have passed up Jadavian Clowney with the deal you just talked about if he had to pay full freight on the contract. I just don't believe that would have happened. I don't believe he said He had to get Bill O'Brien to pay half that contract. So that was the shocker of all when you learned, we learned, that Jadavian Clowney signed a one-year $7 million bonus before he got the new deal from Seattle. Houston gave $7 million to go away, and that was a shocker. Really was. I mean, that's the the thing that uh, is so fascinating about this and you're right about having a coach who's you know acting as the gm because i mean look what he ended up doing first off he trades when he had a pro bowl caliber running back in lamar miller he trades a a a fourth round pick to get duke johnson then basically puts a clause in there that if he plays six games or is active for six games then it gets to a third round pick then he makes a deal for uh, laramie tunsil and i don't know how you evaluated it but he basically paid a quarterback price you know two firsts and a second and others to try to go get a left tackle i mean that's just incredible yeah i mean and the tunsil deal doesn't stop there I'm very critical of teams, and I've done this before because it was so important for me in Green Bay when I was in uh, management. You do a deal, you do a trade for a big name like that with one year left, you've got to get a deal done because that's the time to do it. That's the leverage. You know, you say to Tunsil, we're going to make this big deal for you, but you got to get this, we got to get the deal done. We got to get a contract. And now Tunsil's in there without a contract. As you mentioned, they gave up a quarterback price. One, two ones and the two, and I know there are other parts to the deal, but Tensel has extraordinary leverage, extraordinary leverage over, over O'Brien now. Kind of like when the Eagles with Chip Kelly acquired Sam Bradford and didn't get a deal done, and then Bradford had all the leverage the next March. So that's where we are. You know, the, the, the Texans are going to pay the price, in my opinion, for not having a GM. It looks like they already have. Well, in fact, the... Uh... You think about this, <laughs> the, the likelihood is 
that they'll have to franchise him next year unless they pay him more than $16.5 million. And it's probably going to be 17 or $18 million as a left tackle because they pay Trenton Brown 16 and a half. And if that's going to be the case, it'll be the same thing as Clowney. He may hold out and may not come in. Yeah, I mean, I think more likely, and I don't know which scenario is better, John. I think more likely they, they hand him the moon. And, uh, you know, whatever standard that is, Trent Brown or whatever, they beat it. And, you know, I think I think it's Jimmy Sexton. He has to be just licking his chops because you give up that much price, you're just going to have to pay the contract. And I kind of see it that going that way rather than a tag. Yeah. Well, with the Clowney deal, where do you think this puts Seattle uh, as far as – because now not only do they have uh, uh, Clowney, but they also have Ziggy Ansah. Yeah, John, I mean, you're closer to it than I am, but, you know, I've seen all these predictions for the NFC and playoff teams, including, of course, Rams, Saints, Eagles. I see Packers. I see Bears. I see Vikings. I see Cowboys. I'm not seeing a lot of Seahawks. And uh, to me, you know, you really got to put them in there. Now, I don't know who you push out. You know, because I like the three teams in the NFC North a lot. Um, but we'll see. You know, they're a team that's gone under the radar. Uh, but now, you know, with extraordinary talent rushing the passer, that's some, something you got to think about. Yeah, when you, uh, you know, when you did your analytics on things uh, in the front office and do them now, what is the advantage of having two Pro Bowl caliber pass rushers? Where does that put you? Yeah, I mean, listen, to me, it's all about divvying up resources because you can't have everything. So I think teams look at it as we, we, need, we need that premier pass rusher. They never think about two and use the other resources maybe to tr- get the shutdown corner, get the left tackle, and, of course, whatever resources you're using at quarterback. It's rare to have both of those uh, premier, at premier pass rushers. And, of course, as you know, they got rid of Frank Clark. So some of that was was replacement value rather than pure excess. Well, that's the amazing part about this because what John Snyder did is that uh, he trades Frank Clark. He gets a one and a two. And so what he was able to do was maneuver around in the draft, uh, taking from four draft choices and getting 11. That also gave them the ability to go ahead. So seven draft choices. And then after May 7th, they signed eight players uh, because they had the room to be able to do it because of the Frank Clark deal at 17.1. And, you know, they get a starting defensive tackle in Al Woods. They were able to get Ziggy Ansah at defensive end, Nick Ballore at fullback, and, uh, you know, several other players. And it just you shake your head because that's just remarkable. And then able to parlay the Clowney trade. And so they get two pass rushers. Yeah, I mean, again, on the, the, the book's out on Ansa, uh because a lot of teams could have had him, so we'll see. But I think what, what you identified with Clowney is something that Seattle fans have to be really happy with because he, ter- he turned down Miami. You know, everyone thinks Miami, South Beach, great, you know, but they're not a good team. And Clowney gracefully vetoed that trade. And where did he want to be? He wanted to be in Seattle, and people talked about Philadelphia too, but that's a good sign for the Seahawks because I think, you know, when they're getting players that really want to be there at premier players, 
that's something you really point your hat to and, and management feels really good about, that they can get a player like him. And, of course, Houston paying $7 million of it to boot is just, again, amazing. It really is. <clears throat> and that's the thing I think that just shocked everybody in being able to, because when that little piece came out, you could say, oh, my heavens, how does that go? Because you just don't see it. I mean, are we also seeing kind of a new age? Uh, I, I tend to go against this, but again, but a new age where players can dictate a little bit more because clearly Clowney with the franchise tag and not signing, and he wasn't going to go to a team uh, and then sign the contract if he didn't want to go there. I mean, we saw Khalil Mack kind of get what uh, get out of uh, the Raiders and all that. Are we seeing a little bit of a new age where yeah. some clout can be given to players if they play things right? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting that question a lot these days, John, because, you know, everyone saw what happened in the NBA and seeing now uh, a disproportionate number of these in the NFL compared to the past. I think it started with Aaron Donald two years, three years ago, where he held out and did not get a deal. But it was kind of standard known that when he came back to the Rams after 28 days, there were no fines. So really nothing lost but missing training camp, which a lot of players see as a, as a win. Um, and then he did it the next year and did get a deal, and that was also Mac. Uh, and now we have these three or four guys this year, including the two running backs, Clowney and Trent Williams. And I guess my only point is this. Yes, yes, you can do this without consequence or major consequence, but only if, only if you're special. I mean, you better be special. Clowney, Elliot, Williams, I mean, they're special. Uh, Aaron Donald, Mack, of course. So, yes, are we seeing a little age of, of, of increased power? Yes, but for a, a truly elite bunch of players. Let's just be clear about that. It's always better to get the deals done early, I guess. We see this with Howie Roseman in Philadelphia getting $32 million for Carson Wentz. Then uh, you get Jared Goff's deals done, and uh, still waiting on Dak Prescott. But uh, isn't it better to get deals done early because they tend to be a little bit cheaper than eventually what they are? Yeah, and I did this in Green Bay, and, and I learned from people like Joe Banner in Philadelphia that that really saw incredible value in doing that. Now, the downside of that, is every now and then, I'm not talking about a huge deal like Wentz, but every now and then you'll get a player that's, that's upset. And, like, you got me cheap, you got me early, but you got me cheap, and I'm upset and I want to redo. Um, so that's a natural consequence of taking that strategy. But if you sort of factor in everything else, I think that's the strategy to take. You can never lose going early. No, no question about it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the situation in Dallas is one that's, uh, I think, so rare that you become a victim of your own success in a lot of ways because they've drafted so well both on offense and defense. And so now they were able to get a Jalen Smith deal done, Demarcus Lawrence, Ezekiel Elliott's getting done at $15 million a year, Lil Collins at $10 million a year. But, boy, how do you fit them all in a salary cap? I know, and I think Jones played this well, the Jones uh, family – because they got the two deals that weren't being talked about, Lyle Collins and Jalen Smith. And uh, then Jerry, of course, made the comments about pieces of the pie and to try to maybe squeeze the other three. 
you know, as we record this, Elliot's done. I think it's a huge question mark whether Prescott and or Cooper get done before the Saturday. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think they both have better leverage if they wait. It only hurts the Cowboys, I think. Um, but again, the Cowboys, can they, can they get all these guys done before the season? I don't know. I mean, this will be really interesting to see where it goes with these two guys up till the next uh, the start of the season and Sunday because I would think Jones wants to get at least one done in addition to what he's done already. Yeah, but so wouldn't the priority be to get the quarterback done? Because, uh, you know, by waiting, uh, it now looks particularly with Goff getting done and you get Wentz at $32 million, they're going to have to come close to 32 to $34 million to get that done, where maybe if they could have got it done earlier, it might have been 30 Yeah, I know. I mean, listen, there was we haven't heard much about the Prescott deal other than those leaked reports that he turned down 30 Um I don't know. I mean, everyone listening can have their own opinion of Dak Prescott, especially compared to Wentz and Goff. Uh, the one difference is Wentz and Goff went 1-2 in the draft, and Dak's a fourth-round pick. So Dak's starting point is like six hundred grand. Those guys at least had seven, $8 million to start with. So it's a tougher deal to do because you're dealing with that deficit as well. Um, I don't know. I mean – I think Dak's within his rights to ask for even more than those two guys who went first. But the Cowboys cannot counter and say, you just haven't done what those two guys have done, even Wentz with the injuries. So that's a tough one. That's a really tough deal to do. When you what, what do you kind of figure as far as the value of players rising each year as far as the average? I mean, for example, we watched uh, you know Aaron Rodgers get a deal done at thirty three five, then Russell Wilson the next year at thirty five. Do you figure it's a million and a half to two million or more uh, that you add to the contracts each year at the top? It seems about right. I mean, you look at the cap increase. You know, a cap increase is maybe six to seven percent a year. Um, you know, six or seven percent on a thirty million dollar deal is what one point eight. Um, you know, you sort of look where it's going to go and see how it looks. I mean, I, I think it's different for different positions. Uh, like you, we talked about with Tunsil, we've kind of seen a stagnation in the O line market, and we've obviously seen that in the running back market, uh, and we see it a little bit in the receiver market. You know, we're waiting on Julio Jones, but that market kind of has stagnated at, at 17, 18. Uh, so it's different. And, of course, the running back market is one of the most unusual uh, because of the way that it works in this league, it seems like, okay, you pay five positions, which would be quarterback, uh, the, the tackle blocking the defensive end, and, of course, the pass rusher, of course, being that defensive end, and then you got uh, the cornerback and the wide receiver where the running backs and the safety come in in that six and seven market. Now, safety's got paid this year, but running backs, except for Ezekiel Elliott, aren't. Yeah, I mean, the running back, we talked about this all last year with Bell because Bell was negotiating against himself. There was no one even close. And then Gurley came in at the end of the, the off season. But running back is so hard. You know, Elliott's got eight years committed right now. And I don't fault the agent because the agent's probably saying, you know, with a running back, whether you do a four-year deal or a hundred-year deal, you're probably not getting another one. So uh, they went for all the money they could get and then gave the Cowboys all the years they wanted. But 
I mean, you know what we're talking about with running backs. It's always tread on the tire. And, you know, I look at Saquon Barkley, and everyone talks about he's the best guy in the league. But if he continues at this pace of carries for three years, are, are, is he going to get a huge deal? You know, you, you know, you worry about longevity with running backs, which you don't really think about with any other position. So I really feel for that, that group. Then, of course, you get the situation down with the Chargers where Melvin Gordon uh, is holding out, and they're not even coming close yeah. to the 13 or $14 million that he's wanting. I mean, that looks like they're kind of stuck at 10 and uh, pretty much his only choice, even though they've given him the ability to talk a trade, I don't see anybody trading for him. When I think of Melvin Gordon, I think careful what you wish for. He wanted a new contract. They doubled it from 5 to 10 and said, that's it. And now he says no. And they say, okay, take your choice, you know. And he wants a trade, you know, but a trade is going to have to satisfy the Chargers and satisfy Gordon with a contract. I don't see it happening. No, I don't either. I see him coming in on the – what's that? How how much does that hurt them not having their Pro Bowl caliber running back? Yeah, we're going to find out, you know, if Ekelar and Justin Jackson can carry the load, but – I'm not convinced he stays away, even as we sit here a few days before the opener. Um, you know, but again, I was I was wrong about Le'Veon Bell this time last year too. No, that's true. And so now on the other front, uh, continued talks on trying to get a collective bargaining agreement, and even though it's not going to yeah. be done by the first of the season, uh, still looks pretty positive that something's going to get done. I guess, you know, you and I have been talking about this, and I didn't believe the momentum was as strong as some people, especially thinking it would get done by now. But I continue to come back to my, my main point, which is how are the, how's the union going to get games? And I think the main game they're looking for is an increased revenue split from 47 to whatever, 48, 49, 50. Um, and I keep coming back to, to extra games, whether that be 18 games or 17 games and an extra playoff game. I think that's the only thing they have to give. Um, and we'll see. You know, I, I think there's a deal to be made if the, if the league's ready to give on the revenue side. Well, that's the thing is that I, I would imagine that uh, there's no way they're going to do 18 games. That seems to be uh, no way. But I, what I can see is if they can maybe go to six, 17 games, uh, allow all the non-kickers, non-snappers and all that stuff, long snappers, uh, to play 16 games of those, you get a couple extra spots on the roster so you get more jobs, and so and then you take it down to 17 and then two preseason games. Yeah, and maybe that extra wild card game. Right. Oh, yeah. Because that, that, I think they break, they would break it in two ways. The way they would do it would be next year, you put two extra playoff games, and then you eliminate one preseason game. And, of course, that makes up about right. maybe two-thirds uh, of the money that you're losing in the preseason games. And then the next year, which would be 221, then you do the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, eight, uh, the 17 games. Yeah. I mean, again, the playoff thing people aren't even talking about. Players get paid a, a pittance. 21,000 game for the first round and uh, and there's great revenues to the league so I think the league's going to jump on that yeah because what I look at is about a hundred million dollars for a wild card game and under a new uh, deal is probably going to go up a little bit more so you can maybe get maybe 125 million per game and that's 250 of the probably 350 that you have to make up in the preseason 
per week. That's yeah, that's a great way to do it. I mean, I think you know the 18 game the owner owners almost have to put that out in order to negotiate back into 17, right? Mm-hmm. And the union has to fight it publicly in order to negotiate back into 17. So that might be the answer. Well, Andrew, thank you for negotiating what was a crazy start to the season as far as the final cuts, the trades, and everything else. Thanks for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. Always a pleasure, John. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.